Welcome to the Manufacturing and Supply Chain CEO Podcast. I'm Martin Harshberger, President of Measurable Results, LLC, and martinharshberger.com. I'm a retired CEO of both a manufacturing company and a third-party logistics company. We were lucky enough to grow both to eight-figure organizations. I've been consulting with small and mid-tier companies for the past 16 years. Our mission with this podcast is to provide a forum to help CEOs in these critical industries share their stories, share best practices, and learn from each other. If you'd like to be a guest in our podcast, go to www.martinharsberger.com slash apply. Each interview will take about 30 minutes. Thanks for listening. Welcome to this uh, edition of uh, Manufacturing and Supply Chain CEOs. I'm Martin Harsberger. I'm the host. Uh, with me this morning is Ed Mednick. 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 Sorry, I don't have the problem with that. That's okay. Uh, senior partner of your equipment services, uh, Inc. Sources. Sources, Inc. What did I say? Services, but that's okay. <laughs> well, I want to get it right. How are you this morning? I'm very good. Thank you. Tell me a little bit about your company. We were, were four manufa- ex-manufacturing executives um, who decided to uh, in the, in the businesses we were in, we had automated a tremendous amount our business. Uh, myself at Pettibone Mulligan and Randolph Industries, others in larger companies. And we've got four of us who have the experience of having run plants and having developed systems to be able to manufacture the product quicker. Um, China came in, and as we well, all well know in manufacturing, Every bank in the world was just closing down, closing down, sending money to China. Uh, manufacturing was moving across the pond. Well, it started to come back. And we decided as a group to go out and represent the best principles in the metal forming stamping industry that we could. And we could put together systems to replace the systems that they had or the lack of systems that they have in place currently. Um, We've been very successful at doing it. Uh, We utilize new equipment in the majority of the cases. Uh, We use a lot lot of rebuilt equipment in some cases, and we use a lot of systems connectivity in all cases. Uh, We were lucky enough to contract with the best of the metal builders equipment builders in the industry. The first one was Komatsu Presses. Um, We have a contract with them for seven states. And the next one was Colt Industries. Um, Komatsu obviously makes stamping presses for everybody. Colt Industries makes feed lines, coil, coil feed lines that force material through straighteners, heavy-duty straighteners, and into the presses uh, to be able to stamp the press. Cold steel, that kind of thing? There's all kinds of steel. Uh, The reason we we chose Colt was they are the best in the high-strength, low-alloy marketplace. And everybody seems to want to go to high-strength, low-alloy these days. Um, The other one that we got that was very encouraging was Linear Transfer Company. So once the part gets blanked in the edge, the beginning edge of the press, it then gets picked up by a transfer and moved through the other stations in the die. And they also have a 
way of taking the part out at the end of the part of the press and putting it on the conveyors to get it out to the product, to the production line. And we picked up Gosling uh, Conveyor Company. They make the conveyors that go under the presses and take scrap out the end of the building. Uh, so we can now basically, uh, you want to build a stamping plant? Call me. I'll help you build a stamping plant. We're in the process of doing that with two people. So it's, uh, it's a good thing. It's a very good thing. In the meantime, we represent these companies and we go into places to fix what they currently have, to replace what they currently have with better technology. We represent the Toledo Systems Integrator Company, who takes coil feeds, punch presses, end of stock remover, removal equipment, and puts them all together into one control. So you can punch in the part number and it will set up the feed lines, set up the press, set up the adjustments. Um, if you have automatic clamping, it will clamp the die in position and set up the robots to remove it from the other end. So we've gotten quite a bit into that and uh, we've been very, very successful. We deal with some of the bigger companies in the country. Um, we've made some headways into uh, the automotive guys, the Kias, um, the GMs. Uh, I posted one of the videos on my LinkedIn account that shows you how from a press line goes in from start to finish and what what's entailed in getting it up and running. Uh, we do everything in between as well. So, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Now, uh, I'll say I didn't get that to all of that from your LinkedIn uh, page. I think you need to do a little more advertising there, a little more explanation. <laughs> Uh, Thank you. Uh, yeah, I mean that's that's impressive. I mean the purpose of this this podcast. Uh, my background is is manufacturing, distribution, and logistics. Uh, I run companies and and third party logistics and uh, HVAC manufacturing, metal shops, fab fab shops, that kind of thing. And and I have a soft spot for manufacturing. And, and you hit you when you started your your explanation, you hit, the, hit that nail on the head. There's so much manufacturing has moved offshore, which is, in my mind, insane. We have to be self-sufficient in manufacturing. We have to be. And what I'm seeing uh, over the last 16 years, I've been working with numerous companies uh, in the manufacturing or supply chain areas as a consultant. And I'm seeing that the, the workforce is getting older, retiring, and there's not a lot of talent coming back. You know, because manufacturing is viewed as yesterday's news, and and yeah. you know, I've had a couple of these podcasts with folks that are that are uh, advancing uh, AI and a lot of things that are going into it that that requires engineering and and some talent. So I want to give the opportunity to folks like you to showcase showcase. I'm sorry, what you do, so maybe develop an interest with uh, with some of our younger folks. Say, look, this is a good. This is a good way to make a living. This is a, this is an excellent place to look at. It's not moving metal with your hands anymore, right? No. no. So, so that's an interesting. Uh, how'd you get into doing that? What made you decide to do that? I was in uh, manufacturing, a uh, company called Pettibone Mulligan, and huge manufacturing in the railroad business primarily, uh, forge shop, uh, die shop, pattern shop. Um, die cutting shop and a rail assembly shop 
And uh, when that business sold to the competitors in Europe who needed the building, not the manufacturing, and needed the building in Russia, they were in Germany and they didn't, they couldn't get into Russia. We already had a plant in Russia. When I saw that, I had people that were 40 year retirees out of that build. I was retiring somebody with 30 plus years every other week. So I was very comfortable with that. And I was very comfortable running that plant. Somebody came along and said, you know, you ought to sell equipment. Of course, I looked at him and said, I ought to what? (laughs) I couldn't sell an icebox to a Floridian. He said, no. He says, think about it this way. You've been in manufacturing engineering for a long time. You've been in plant management for a longer period of time. You know all these guys. Uh, You're in the Precision Metal Forming Association, and most of them know you. So, uh, in fact, didn't you teach Tool and I? I said, I did. I was requested to teach the senior class of Tool and I people what's going to happen to their dyes when it gets into the factory and how they're going to get messed up and what to prevent. Um, I did that for a number of years for a guy who was uh, the plant manager at BOC, Buick Oldsmobile and Cadillac, way back in those days, if you remember that one. That goes back a ways. Anyway, I I did get out and start selling for him. He had uh, lines similar to what I have now. He's since then departed and uh, out of of business, died, passed away. Great guy, but uh, I learned and I learned a lot from him. Um, One thing that's going on that's somewhat of a resurgence is there is some tool and die makers classes that are going on in Illinois and Michigan. And if you've got any knowledge whatsoever or any inkling as to running machines and doing some precision metalworking, you should, younger people should join that. It pays very, very well. People down south have begged me, um, how do I get a tool and die maker here in Tennessee? How do I get a tool and die maker here? And I'm willing to do anything to get one into this plant. I've had them advertise in Chicago and the move, and they would pay for the move to get the person down there and pay them 40 bucks an hour and all the benefits. So it's a, it's a good, it's a good starting point to making good money. About five or six years ago, I was working with a client and um, he was outsourcing something to a, to a extruder, uh, plastic extruder. So I went to that, company and, and he took me through his tool and die shop and it was uh, it's in Mississippi um, not too far from where I'm living it was probably the best tool and die shop I'd ever seen I mean it was pristine it was I looked around he probably had 20 guys in there working it was huge he built all his own dies for and I, I looked around I mean there wasn't anybody under 50 years old so I asked the owner I said hey, you know what are you going to do when these guys are cycling out he said I had no idea at this point because yeah. there wasn't, there was no apprentice programs anymore. There wasn't anybody going into that. You're right. I mean, it's, it's a great job. It's not a, certainly not a low tech job by any stretch. No. And, uh, so my, my take on manufacturing in the U S our biggest problem is people. It's viewed as uh, as a non 
glorious job, I guess, is what it is. It's not anymore. And part of this podcast is to educate people that there's a, there's careers there that make sense. I mean, I'm in my 70s, so when we came out of school, that was a great job, kill and die, right? Today, they don't even know what that is. <laughs> yeah, they know. I mean, let's be honest. They don't know what that is. That's so, a shame, too. It is a shame. There's so much technology that has advanced in the machine tool business. Yeah. Um, laser machines that are totally loaded, unloaded, and programmed and cut and unload. Um, plasma machines that do the same thing. CNC machine centers, milling machines and lathes and grinders that have to be programmed and they have to be programmed correctly. The last company I ran, it was the HVAC company. I had I manufactured quills in one division and I had fab in the other division because we had purge grade cooling uh, and heating equipment. And we had two uh, 2,500 watt lasers. I ran first and second shift and third shift. I lined, I Programmed a thing, set it up, it loaded, unloaded, and I ran the whole third shift with anybody being. Yeah. It stacked everything. But you're right. Where was the bottleneck? It was unprogrammed, trying to find somebody to do that. So I, I think uh, it, guys like us have been around a while. We need to, if there's something we can, a legacy we can leave is trying to drive people back to look at this again, right? I mean, because it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a career that's, that's totally different than what it was when you and I started. All of our guys, when they go into a plant, um, they teach in the plant. They teach people how to, okay, this is the way you used to do it. This is the way you're going to do it. And this is the reasons why. And if you need training on maintenance, we'll go back and train the maintenance guys. Generally speaking, the people in the plant are more, in, they, they want this technology. They want the challenge. They want the mental stimulation to be able to take a servo feed and connect it to a, a series of equipment and get it to run and get it to run continuously at a faster speed than what the old air feeds used to run. They want to take a press that's now a servo press and put it into a pendulum motion so that you get a stroke down and a stroke back. That's a very difficult concept because you have to have the feed run faster to keep up with it because it's got to feed in as it's going down and then it's got to feed in as it's coming back down. But you can double, almost double the speed. I mean, there are some things that we're doing today that we never even had in the, in the back of our mind to do 20 years ago. Or the technology to do it with. No, nor the technology to do it with. Where are you currently in your business with uh, COVID and everything? Is it coming back for you now? Yes. <clears throat> All my guys have got both their shots. We decided to do that early on. Um, we got big into Zoom. You know, we have meetings with customers daily was on Zoom. Um, we're doing a project for a tube mill and for a roll former that we haven't met the customer at his plant yet only because of the restrictions at the plant yeah and those restrictions have started to fall away by the wayside uh, the magna plants have tremendous amount of you know business coming out of it but you have to do it on zoom 
um, they're starting to get to the point where they're accepting people coming in and, and meeting with them and having live meetings in the plant. So there's there's a lot of that that's going on that, you know, once we hit the 80% plat- platform where everybody's got two shots at, and 80% of the country has gotten two shots, I don't think anybody will be afraid to go into a building. It's pretty close to that now, and it's only 70% that have one shot, one of the COVID shots. So uh, uh, that fear is starting to be less and less in manufacturing, which is great. I think that fear is more media-driven than actuality. I have to agree with you. But, you know, I I think that what I think doesn't matter, but let's face it. Uh, what's what, how do you when you talk about systems and so on? Uh, do you, you look at overall manufacturing processes? Or you look at the system itself and let the company design the processes around that. We we take a look at the overall manufacturing. What product are you making, and how are you making it currently? And then we come up with ways to make that easier, more productive, and with better quality. Yes, awesome. Um, what would you think is your, your primary differentiator in your market? Four of us have, have been there and done that and know the answers to when you, when you're a plant manager or a manager, manufacturing engineering, we've most likely been there and done that. One of the four of us has seen almost every problem that there is from paint lines to presses to forming machines to, I mean, you name it, we've been through that and we keep, keep in touch with each other and, you know, keep in touch with the projects that we're working on. So every one of us has got an expanded vision as far as what can make things better. Do you uh, do anything, are you doing anything with trying to replace your, your knowledge with younger folks? uh, We've got, we've got one, one younger guy out of the four who's in his 50s, but the rest of us are 60s and 70s. And finding that person that A, is willing to take that jump into manufacturing, uh, which has been, you know, the worst part of manufacturing was when the banks started pulling out, started not investing in manufacturing companies. That was the absolute bottom of the barrel as far as I'm concerned. Now they're starting to invest, but they still, the public still does not perceive manufacturing as being uh, the Ivy League towers. You know, the the Harvard and the Yale guys don't want to have anything to do with manufacturing. Uh, They want to go to the stock market, make the fast buck. Kind of with the supply chain problems, it kind of emphasizes the fact that we can't survive constantly with depending on global suppliers. I mean, we've got to get smarter about putting things here where we can manage it. Right? Maybe that'll help that. I don't know. Um, well, even the reason even, you're, you're providing a, a pretty critical service. You t- you mentioned maintenance. Uh, yeah. Biggest hole I have worked with clients over the years is maintenance. You know, again, it's guys like us have done it for a while and then they retire and, and now you got guys that can't replace a fuse. You know, so the service you're providing is critical, I would think. And, and how do you replenish your skill set? This time we, we're out there looking all the time. 
and evaluating people that are getting up in, in their, their age or getting up in their frustration levels as far as working, you know, in the environment of nine, 10 hours a day, six days a week, and they want to get to a better place. So we, we've lined up a few people and we're kind of in that waiting mode that we could add, we could add another, another person pretty easily. It's a, it's a, I think it's a, almost, a, I'm trying to think of a word, but it's almost like a, a responsibility to try to replace some of that, you know, because you spend your life at it. You don't want to see that go away. Same with me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're, you, most of your work is with large companies, I assume, because you're talking about major capital investment, right? Most of our work is with companies that have 30 or more employees. Oh, okay. I, would, I would venture to say that half of it is with companies that have 200 people or more. Generally speaking, companies that have over 30 uh, employees are looking to buy new and better technology. Generally speaking, under that, they're looking for a used, rebuilt machine. And if we run into them, we can get them a used, rebuilt machine or get it or point them in the direction of where to get a used machine because, quite frankly, I, I don't like the fact that I don't like a used machine. Um, it doesn't uh, it doesn't go on my reputation as well as a new machine. And I'm in it for the long run. Um, I don't want somebody coming back five years later and saying, well, you sold me that thing and um, how am I going to replace it or what am I going to replace it with? And I have to explain to them, well, I, ex I showed you a new machine that would run better than that by a long shot. I put you into the rebuild shop that would be able to fix that. Um, you made the decisions. I showed you the option, the options, the alternatives. One of the, one of the things I see in my years, my sweet spot working with companies is is pretty much that three hundred. Uh, I, I say five million to fifty, sixty million, because I can make a major change in there. Anything over that, you get into politics. And I'm too old to be with that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so I like to find those those companies in kind of the same range as yours. But what I find, I, I deal primarily with strategy and, and direction. I mean, I find that most companies at that size haven't looked forward far enough to know what they need. I mean, they're, they're fighting fires or treating symptoms rather yeah. than, you know, so you're coming in with systems that that solve a problem, but that doesn't solve their overall problem of, of strategy and market and all that stuff. Um, I work with a a partner that does some lean manufacturing again that's process because they don't you know if you don't have money for capital what can you do you try to tighten the processes yeah. I, I think I, i'm surprised i guess over the last 16 years how uh, i'll say this i don't want to be i'll say this right but how uh, how day-to-day -day oriented businesses are uh they're not they're not looking at the market they're not looking at changes they're not looking at anticipating change uh, you see that as well. I do. In fact, the biggest uh, the biggest view viewing point of that is the chips that go into automotive. Um, <laughs> who would have thought that one manufacturing company in China would shut down the automotive industry? Yeah. First of all, we should have had that chip being made here in the United States because we could probably make it faster and better, and then we would not have had this problem. But 
you know, that's that's something that I don't think anybody foresaw. Well, it didn't. And, you know, I, I talked to somebody earlier this morning. I have a Ford dealer down the road a couple of miles. Uh, I bought my pickup. And I drive by there now. There's no pickups on a lot. And he makes his bread and butter selling pickup trucks. There's nothing there because of the chip problem. I mean, so yeah. it's feathered on down the, all layers of the industry. And that's what, I, that's what I was saying earlier. I think the COVID thing highlighted the supply chain risk that may say, you know what? We need to start looking at our own backyard, right? Maybe yeah. uh, we got to get executives thinking about that, right? Yeah. What's the essentials that we cannot do without? Exactly. It's difficult, difficult to have somebody focus on that when they're looking short term to make money. Where do you think your industry is going? I think it's going straight up. I think so too. I hope so. I, I agree. I, I think the metal stamping industry is definitely going straight up. There are people who cannot produce enough automobiles and they literally, the, the delivery, as you alluded to, has gotten out two, three months. Yeah. You can go in and buy a car or buy a truck and they tell you it'll be delivered. You know, if it was today, it'll be delivered in September. Yeah. My, my son-in-law just bought a truck at uh, Dooley for a camper and he's three months out. It's crazy. That is. So looking back on your career, what would you have done differently in the beginning of change if you could? I would have listened to my dad. My dad told me I should have gone to Fenwick High School and played football. And I would have ended up at Notre Dame playing football. That's the biggest mistake I ever made. But too soon, late, too, too, too soon, old, too late, schmoth, as they yeah. used to say. Yeah. <laughs> How can people get in touch with you? Just go on the website. It's www.yourequipmentsourcesinc.com. Or call me. It's my cell phone is 630-605-6982. My email is ednendick, all one word, at gmail.com. And no matter where you – I'm down I, – I take care of the south part of the country, uh, Florida, Georgia, and Alabama. I've got a guy that takes care of the east side of Georgia, Kentucky, and Tennessee. I've got a guy who takes care of, Al- of, Kentucky, of Tennessee and Kentucky on the west side in Arkansas. And I've got a guy who takes care of the Indiana, Illinois area and goes all the way out to Mississippi, Missouri. Sorry, Missouri. So call me. I'll put you in touch with the right guy in your neck of the woods to come out and talk to you. Great. Well, thanks for joining me. I enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for having me, Marty. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Manufacturing and Supply Chain CEOs. If you're a successful CEO in manufacturing or supply chain that would like to be part of the program, please visit www.martinharsberger.com slash apply. If you got some value out of the interview, please share it on social media. We'd really appreciate it. Also, if you know someone that would make a great guest, tag them and let them know about the show. Again, our mission is to focus on manufacturing and supply chain CEOs. We'd like to share your story and provide industry trends and updates that would interest our listeners. We're regularly putting out new episodes and content. 
to make sure you don't miss an episode, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up ratings and interviews go a long way in promoting the show. You connect with me on social media. I'm on LinkedIn at uh, Martin Harshberger or through my website, www.martinharshberger.com. Again, we appreciate it. Thanks for listening.